Hey, y'all, it's Orlando. We just want to let you know that the views and opinions expressed during this podcast episode are those of the co-hosts and guests and not their sponsoring institutions. Now, let's start the show. Hello, Detroit in the world. Welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the Zoom platform. We are a content partner to BridgeDetroit.com. I'm Orlando Bailey. And I'm Donna Givens-Davidson. Thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. Authentically Detroit is taking a short hiatus in order to prepare for some big changes we have in store. So we will be taking a couple of weeks off. But before we go, we want to discuss the results of the election last week, the primary election. We've invited back two special guests from our election watch party, Miss Brenda Butler and Edith Ford. Brenda and Edith, welcome back to Authentically Detroit. Hi, Orlando. Hi, Donna. Hello. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Good, Good evening. evening. Apparently, the two of you were a hit on our show last week. I just want you to know that people are still talking about it. I think Chase Cantrell posted it today about how magnificent of an episode it was. Charity Dean from the Metro Detroit Black Business Alliance also stated how much she uh, enjoyed the episode. So we thought that it was fitting to invite the two queens, Queen and Slim, back to the podcast to uh, discuss the solidified election results because we have a man now, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord, okay. We have a man now. But before we get, yeah, before we get started, how is the day finding everybody? Donna, how is your weekend? How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. Um, you know, I'm actually on vacation, but I could not stay away from this conversation, so I had to tune in. Sorry, y'all. Um, I'm in the mountains of Pennsylvania on my way to the Poconos to spend some time, rest and relaxation. But I spent the weekend at Elizabeth Lake Park in Trenton at the Jazz on the River Festival. Um, we saw Stephanie Mills. Um, we saw Randy Scott, um, um, Alexander Zanjic and George Benson, um, as well as many other guests. It was a wonderful day in the 90 plus um, degree heat. I'd never really heard of this concert um, until a few years ago. I see people there on Facebook, but it's an absolutely free concert um, put on by the Wayne it's County free? Park. Wow. Free of charge. The only thing you have to pay for is parking if you want to park on the grounds. And when I tell you, it, I don't know how many people are actually there, but it feels like thousands. It's completely packed. And almost everybody there is Black in Trenton. In Trenton. So, in Trenton, it's like we take over Elizabeth Lake Park in Trenton and we feel very free. But until we leave, I'm telling you, they police this thing. They have the gross ill police out, sheriffs out, um, the Trenton police directing the traffic. There's people, police cars driving down the street with the windows open and guard dogs in the backseat barking at you as they drive by. And while we were on the river, you had, you know, pleasure craft on the river and you had police boats going up and down the river to make sure that this large crowd of middle-aged black people do not commit any crimes. And I just want you to know 
if you are a member of the Trenton police and somehow you end up listening to this, we are not there to commit crimes, okay? We are just, some of us are just having a hard time walking the distance to this location. It was crazy. The amount of racism that took place around this event that they don't control because it's put on by the county. And this was a 25th anniversary. Wow. It's wow. An amazing an event. I, I, you know, I do wonder oftentimes and see the stark contrasts between uh, the surveillance and policing of uh, majority Black attended events versus uh, the opposite. I have been to a private event on campus marshes and Cheryl Crow was the headliner and folks were kind of just free to mingle and stay after the concert. We weren't rushed out. Uh, by security of the Downtown Detroit Partnership. Meanwhile, I've also been to a Lucky Day concert at Beacon Park, and that's a majority Black crowd. And as soon as it was over, huh? As soon as it was over, it's time for y'all to go, okay? Y'all don't have time to hang out and talk and whatever. It's, it's really something. So yeah, that's crazy. But I'm glad you had a good time. Stephanie Mills sings, okay? She sings. Oh, she sang. Stephanie Mills, she is truly 65 years young. She's, her voice is as pure as it ever was. She brings so much energy and so much joy to the stage that you have to say to yourself, this woman has been living right because she still got it. I mean, doesn't she make you feel good all over? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Brenda, how are you doing today? How's your weekend? How's the day finding you? I'm well. Uh, I spent my weekend, uh, well, actually Saturday, uh, in the community. I visited the um, Arise Detroit uh, community space with uh, Loretta Power uh, on uh, Montclair and Warren. It was a beautiful event. Uh, lots of uh, Neighbors were strolling through all day. We had lots of resource tables. Uh, saw a lot of people that I hadn't seen in a few weeks. And then I left there and I went over to the Field Street Arise Detroit weekend uh, celebration. And the same, had uh, live music and the neighbors from the surrounding communities were there. I. Edith was there with the resource table and other uh, community partners. So I had a great weekend. I was hot, but I loved it because <laughs> I love being hot because I am hot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the winter months. So uh, everyone else was complaining, but I was loving it. Shout out to uh, Luther Keith and Arise Detroit on their annual Neighborhoods Day. And also shout out to Loretta Powell and Danny Dolly and the Little Detroit Community Garden uh, hosting their own portion of Neighborhoods Day. Uh, we love Loretta and uh, Danny here. So congratulations, guys, on hosting your Neighborhoods Day. Edith, how you doing? I'm fine. Yes, and congratulate you guys on um, at the Little Garden. That was nice, but I'm gonna get it. Give a shout out to Miss Daisy Jackson and Jenny yeah, Spencer for putting yeah. together the Field Street Black Club event. They have a, a group of guys that are musicians that were live. It was live music there, and food, and just getting together and being relaxed. Um, 
Got to tell people about some initiatives we're doing at Mac Development and Mac Development and ECN. So I got some numbers I'm going to be sharing. It's time to get busy. But I wanted to comment on something Donna has said about the police protection. So in 2020, I went to the George Floyd protest in D.C. Okay, so when you go to a black protest, it's really like a righteous block party. It's grandmas <laughs> there. It's kids on bikes. It's, ki it's parents with kids in strollers. It's elderly people. It's um, disabled people. It's wounded veteran artists. It's like everybody. They had a eight foot double layer wrought iron fence wrapped around the White House. They had every alphabet of law enforcement in the army there. And some guys or women that were in all black with masks on that had no initials on them. Hmm. Now, I don't know what they thought we was doing. Y'all had, we had our young people community groups out there um, serving people over 50 drinks. Hmm. I mean, they're feeding you. The brothers from the Howard Theology grad school is off in the corner preaching, you know, like typical stuff, but that's what they do with us. And it's a shame that um, we're treated like that because you're right. We're not there to yeah, do nothing. We yeah, name it and call it out until it changes. Thank you for that, Edith. Listen, y'all, it's time for Hot Takes, where we run down some of the week's top headlines in the city of Detroit. So for Hot Takes, a new Black woman-led business is flash-freezing Detroit produce. Donna, I thought this would be interesting uh, for you. So listen, here's the rundown. Since March, the woman-owned Black business has been flash-freezing produce from Detroit, Highland Park, and Hamtramck farmers, and are selling it to consumers in grocery stores. The company seeks to provide Black farmers in the region with an additional revenue stream, reduce food waste, and provide healthy and organic food options in the frozen section. Founder of In the Mix Detroit, her name is Amani Foster. She previously worked for 13 years as a farmer's market coordinator with Keep Growing Detroit and often saw extra produce at the end of the season being composted instead of eaten. While composting is good for the environment, it's still food waste. So in the grocery stores, to sell to the grocery stores, the food businesses are required to operate out of a facility licensed through the Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development. There are specific requirements around labeling and nutritional facts that foster uh, to act as barriers as well. All right, y'all. Donna, what say you about this? This is pretty cool. This is a cool story. This is EmbraceDetroit.com. Yeah, Right. I think it's pretty exciting. I mean, we have, um, you know, had a lot of growers and the question is, can you make money growing food, yeah. considering the fact that you don't necessarily have a way to get food from the farm to tables in people's homes, especially the people who need it most. And also you don't have a way always uh, um, to create sustainable income. So the ability to preserve food and the ability to package it in such a way that people can make money and people who are in need of good nutrition can purchase food locally really means a lot. When we talk about global climate change, there's so many conversations that need to be had, but part of it is why are we um, importing food from China when we can grow and eat food from our own community? And yeah. so hats off to Imani for having led the way in partnership with many other growers and keep growing Detroit and now taking it to a whole new level. Um, 
I'm interested in purchasing some of this flash frozen produce, which is a whole lot better than your typical frozen produce because yes. it maintains its fresh flavor and nutrients much longer. Yes. Well, in the mix, Detroit sources the produce from uh, Oakland Avenue Farm, Walton Plants, Nat Creek, Brother Nature Produce, and Helen Street Garden. And uh, they are, you know, uh, preparing to set up uh, to sell at the new cooperative grocery store opening in the North and the Detroit People's Food Co-op spearheaded by the Detroit Black uh, Community Food Security Network. I think this is really, really um, amazing news because oftentimes when we hear about the city of Detroit and food, we hear that Detroit is a food desert. And uh, Davida Davidson will, will cite the tons of food that is grown in the city of Detroit every year. And so being able to figure out how to provide um, access to everyone in the community to be able to buy and source locally is great. They want to be in Kroger. They want to be in Westbourne Market. I mean, Brenda, Edith, don't y'all want to buy from here? I do. Oh, oh yes. do. I think they should have that at a gas station so they stop buying all that crap in there. <laughs> well, the gas stations and also um, the neighborhood convenience stores, also known as liquor stores, have the ability to sell this flash frozen food. I mean, let's bring it to where the people actually have the opportunity to shop. And a lot of times it's not going to be in Kroger unless you leave your neighborhood. But there's local grocery stores, there's convenience stores. Again, I refuse to call them liquor stores. I think we need to relabel them. Um, and I think um, also gas stations are um, a great way to provide access. Yeah, they can, oh, they can also right go in, they can go in Family Dollar and uh, Dollar Tree. They have uh, they have the coolest food section. They have yeah. frozen food yes. sections. That's and that's right. where people are getting stuff right now. Um, That'd be great for me. They're in every neighborhood. Yeah. So I think that, you know, really, if Detroit is not on the map as a city of food innovation, we will be soon. What other city is doing all that we are around farmers markets, around growing food and now having the food co-op and this business? I think we ought to really lift it up and stop and, and push back against the naming of the city as a food desert. Yeah, it's not a food desert. And I think yeah. a lot of people have push back against that narrative because what it does is discount and make invisible all of the um, food entrepreneurs that are in our space. Especially and I, the so black hopefully farmers. Hopefully there's more as the black farmers are um, so important. Yeah. All right, y'all. Uh, another hot take. Uh, Democrats wanted black consensus candidate for Congress. It didn't happen. This is by Malachi Barrett in BridgeDetroit.com. So State Rep Shree Tanadar, a Democrat in Detroit, finished ahead of eight Black candidates in the 13th Democratic primary, winning with only 28% of the vote. The outcome likely ends a nearly 70-year uninterrupted streak of Black politicians representing Detroit in Congress. That's nearly 70 years of an uninterrupted streak of Black politicians representing Detroit in Congress. Tanadar said, He's committed to representing the interests of the Black majority in Detroit. Tanadar described himself as a hard worker who understands the needs of vulnerable communities due to his experience growing up poor in India. Uh, Warren Evans, uh, who is the county executive uh, here in Wayne County and the Legacy Committee for Unified Leadership, said Tanadar's victory represents a clear failure. Even worse, he believes that it was entirely avoidable. When asked why so many candidates stayed in the race, even when it appeared obvious that doing so would elevate Tanadar's chances of winning, Warren Evans blames peers for not seeing the big picture. Donna, 
Really? Oh, what say I, you, Donna Givens Davis? I just, I, you know, we don't have time for everything I need to say, but <laughs> that's a whole episode. It really upsets me. Anytime you name a committee that you formed the legacy committee and you invite a bunch of power brokers to anoint the next candidate and criticize the community, larger community for not falling in line, it reminds me of the talented tenth kind of conversations that people have. Um, what is consensus? Is consensus me doing what you tell me to do? me listening to what you say is best for the community. If you're trying to build consensus, shouldn't that involve listening to all aspects of the community? And it's interesting that Evans describes the um, process as both transparent and democratic because democracy happens at the ballot box, not in a private room with your friends. And so I think what was a failure was their attempt to usurp the power of Detroit voters and make decisions for us. There were a number of people who felt left out of that conversation. Women felt left out of this anointing of Adam Ollier because most of the people on the legacy committee were coincidentally black men. But also you have, um, whenever you talk about legacy, it almost sounds like old folks, right? Where were the young people and where were their voices on this legacy committee? Um, was this older people anointing a younger person and saying, you're the one we want to carry the torch? And is that the way it happens? So I think that really when we have a lack of consensus is because we don't have a lot of productive conversations across lines uh, in Detroit, across income lines, across class lines, across gender lines, across geographical lines, such that the people truly can come together and say, this is what we want. Donna, I want to push back on you on the, the gender dynamics, just by quoting what Warren Evans said. He says that he disagrees with the criticism that the group was composed predominantly of older men. This is what he said. <laughs> and I well, think I guess so. I guess he does. This is what he like said. That. He said, he said, I just think it's patently not true. Either it's not true or it's true. How do you think it's not true or uh, true? No, so, you know, he says there is a number of women in the room. Was the room majority women? No, it was not. But remember, the invitation to become part of the consistence process was open to everyone. So that's his answer to the critique. Well, I'm, I'm going to go back to my emails and see where my invitation was because it didn't come by postal mail, okay? <laughs> so if I received an invitation to this, or maybe I'm just not anyone, right? So if it was open to everyone and I didn't get an invitation, then that must discount my personhood. Edith and Brenda, did you all get an invitation to the consistency? No, no, I did not get an invitation. He has failed in his duties to the kingdom. <laughs> well, you want to know. And he's not alone. Baby. He's not first alone. of all, yeah, first of all, he should have, okay, let's admit it. We had a whole baseball team running for 13 congressional. <laughs> And as the grown, as the older elder statement statesman, he should have met with them and gave them some advice, and not, and and gave them some advice and let those people some let them have at it. And we picked the. We did pick the candidates. Three Thanadar won more black votes than anybody in the race. Okay, the reality is well, that only fifteen point five nine percent voted, but that's another topic. Oh, but that, okay, but but the point is, the point is that we didn't put if, if we didn't have a black person in the race to convince fifteen more percent to show up. That's on us. We have to ask ourselves why aren't people voting? 
And it's not because we are stupid. It's not because of all of the negative things that are being said about us. It's because many people don't believe voting matters. Many people do not believe voting is going to change anything about their lives. There's a lot of well-deserved cynicism about the value of the vote to people who are living in neighborhoods where the housing has been taken for foreclosure, tax foreclosure, one in five homes taken for, by tax foreclosure since, I don't know, is it 2005? That's a, third, that's a third of the housing stock in the city of Detroit. Think about one in, that. No, it's more than one stock. a third. One in five, I mean, I'm sorry, one in two homes, 50% of the homes were taken, um, either by tax or mortgage foreclosure. Mortgage foreclosure may have been somewhat preventable, but tax foreclosure is by far the predominant way that homes are taken. People are living in communities where they cannot afford housing. People are living in communities where they cannot afford water, energy, any of the resources around them. We have terrible public transportation and we have candidates who are running on issues that are not necessarily germane to their immediate needs. And if they are, they aren't talking to the people and explaining to them, here's what I'm going to do for you. And so people give up. And I think it's on us to re-energize re the voting base by running campaigns that really speak to the very basic needs that our community is experiencing. This whole idea that the most important thing this election is anointing a black person or electing a black person, you're missing the boat. We've had black people all along and people got their homes taken. We've had black people all along and they, we've had so many um, challenges to the quality of life of so many people that I think people are looking beyond having black representation. And they're looking to have representation of the needs of black people. And those are two separate things. Well, I, I don't have a problem with our community wanting representation, uh, our black representation, because when you think about it, every other, every race in this country, they run candidates that are in their, their uh, culture. Uh, so say for instance, in Dearborn, where the newly uh, 12th district was, was redrawn. Okay, so now Rashida is there with her people. Though, Okay, so it's okay for them to pick her as a candidate. It's okay for uh, other, uh, for white people to pick who they want as a candidate. So yes, we should, I feel as though, yes, I can pick my candidate as a black person. I think, I think the conversation should be a little more, uh, I think the conversation could be a little more nuanced than that. Like Brenda, right. I, I don't disagree with you, but I think one of the one of the critiques that I have is against um, ceremonial black representation. Right. Just having a black person in office just because they are black without any real tangible deliverables. We can say that Rashida Tlaib brought home fifteen million dollars last year and wrote checks, right? And I and uh, I voted for Rashida, but she was representing me. <laughs> and, and I did too. And, so I, know, what I'm saying, and I go along with what you're saying, um, um, wholeheartedly, Orlando, because um, Adam Holier from Warren Evans and um, uh, uh, the uh, what's his name, Pastor over Ebenezer and Wendell Anthony and the other people who got in that room and threw us, Adam Houlier, you don't just throw us a candidate. 
That's well, where that's the problem what, was. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. exactly what you're saying. And that's, that's where the problem is. And first of all, what have they done really to lead black people and to get into the fight that we, we have been having all these years with these water shutoffs and uh, housing and all the issues that we have? They have not spoken out at all for exactly. candidate. When was the last time you saw them in our neighborhood anywhere, at any church, at ECN, at the Commons? You know, no, they, 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 came they want us to come down and join the Democratic um, um, office to campaign for them in Gross Point. I'm not going to tell nobody to go to Gross Point and go to jail to get a ticket. Right. I mean, listen, they, they might come to, the, the, the candidates all came to ECM for the most part, except for Shree and Sharon McPhail and Lori No, she talking, she's, not, she's not talking about the no, candidates. No, I'm, I'm not, not talking, talking about, about for the forum. I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about. And I'm talking about for the candidates too, Donna, like. But I know, but what I'm saying is, it's one thing to come to ECM and it's another thing to walk the streets. It's another what? thing to go door to door. I'm talking about both. Yes, I'm I talking agree. about both yes. also. What they I'm need to come knock this. on my door, or exactly. they need to knock on the doors of significant people in this community that's going to um, tell them what we need here. Right. And, and, not just and a lot of doors, a lot of doors. I, I expect for you to be at the convenience store at the gas station. I'm 63, and if I can roll up in there like it's nothing, then they should be able to. Exactly. Because exactly. We are all... We are all citizens we all paying taxes and i always tell people even if you disabled and you never worked you still paying taxes no they need to come and talk to you and they don't Absolutely. do that yes right. and i can say i have a real problem with Winston, wendell anthony the president of the naacp uh trying to throw me a candidate when all during the year he has not gotten out on the street now one time for the water shut off. When John Conyers was our congressperson, John Conyers helped to lead a march down Woodward Avenue on water shut offs. And you're going to throw me a candidate? Right. I don't think so. I think right. we should name and then you pay it. a $10 membership to become a member of the NAACP and you dial the number. If you could, you could dial it 24 7 and nobody answers the phone. Get out of here. I think we should name that the Legacy Committee uh, for Unified Leadership uh, selected and endorsed Adam Olier um, as their consensus candidate. They not only are receiving the same kind of pushback that you are providing, Brenda Butler, but Keith Williams, who is the chair of the Michigan Democratic Black Caucus, said you can't force your candidate down people's throats. Similar to what you're saying, Brenda Butler, he said at the end of the day, leadership can get together, but it's the people who've got to buy that person and vote for that person. We've got to find people who are acceptable and amenable to their constituencies. My question to the panel here is, why didn't Adam Olier work for you? I mean, Adam Olier has a lot of good things to say. And um, he's come on this show a couple of times. A lot of what he talked about and campaigned about was very similar to the kinds of things that we were concerned about. But here's the deal about Adam Olier, and I wanna um, say this you know, as nicely as I can. Um, when you have the kind of votes he had, like around line five, when you differentiate yourself from the Democratic Party, and you go off script and decide to do your own thing, and you, you're the only person voting with Republicans on significant issues, 
people don't trust that you're going to go to D.C. and represent them well, and especially when it's an environmental issue. And then when you add to that APEC endorsement and the fact that so many people recognize that people who are living in places other than the United States are being oppressed, our brothers and sisters overseas, and APEC is tone deaf and com 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 complicit with what is happening to Palestinian people, a lot of us just don't connect with um, his messaging. It's sort of like, okay, you're super pro-Israel, and so you can't be super pro-human rights. So for me, those were defining issues. I was not, I did not vote for Sri Thanadar either. I'm not going to talk about who I did vote for, but what I will say is that what Shri did that Adam Ollier didn't do is number one, apparently he was a lot more visible in the streets than Adam Ollier was. Well, he didn't have a message either. He, he may not have had, he had a message. I may not have known the message, but he was sending messages. He was sending text messages. Goose crap. His message was goose crap. He was like, I, his, I grew up poor like you. I right. myself. That's that, was, that was his main But message. he also had specific, he, when he was went before an endorsement committee that I'm aware of, this is just what I've heard secondhand, by Brandon Snyder, when he went before the endorsement committee, he said that a lot of what he was proposing to do was very much in line with the progressive candidacy. So we didn't hear that message. I didn't hear anything from Shri other than him talking about Adam Ollier, but he wasn't talking to me. He, I was not his target voter. There were other people who did vote for him. And my guess is some of them were hearing the message. And rather than asking the people who voted for him why they did, a lot of people have gone online and in other places and condemned them and said they voted against the race, they're undermining the race. Why don't we listen? Because there were people who were voting for him for a reason, and those reasons were not all, um, I don't care about Black people. I think and again, also, this was not my candidate. I think we also see um, laid bare just how widening the gap is between the Black bourgeoisie and the average Detroit citizen, um, the black political power structure and the average Detroit citizen. And so even though these are black faces who got together and decided that State Senator Alam Ollier is the, the, the candidate that we want to uh, put, on, put on Front Street, I think the streets was feeling something that was diametrically opposed up against that. And so it's it, it, it kind of lays bare and, and levels a critique that the black political power structure as it stands, uh, mainly you know older uh, black men is completely out of touch with what's happening on the pavements and neighborhoods. Brenda and Edith, what do you say? I totally agree because people don't get out and talk to the people. You got to talk to kids. You got you have to talk to everybody, and and you don't see these people in our communities at all. It's one, but, one thing that come, it's one thing to come up to ECN when it's you know a group and you know you might do that once twice, but how do you know what people need and what they want? From what I understand, and I'm not someone who saw him there. Eric Thomas, for example, on Facebook said everywhere he went, he saw Shri in the streets. Other people have talked about him showing up in events. And so I think that he didn't come to ECN, but I've heard people say 
that he went in the streets. And I'm not trying to defend Sheree. That's Sheree's job to run and defend himself. But I think that a lot of the messaging we're getting is always about his um, racial identity and not about his personhood. And I think that we dehumanize and um, really attack a lot of Black voters when we assume that they don't know what's best for them. Rather than making that assumption, I think it might be our turn to listen and maybe even invite some Shree supporters on to find out what it is they saw. Because if you want to change things, the first thing you have to do is understand what is happening now. And if we just keep on in these echo chambers talking to each other and talking down on a certain group of people in the name of unity, I don't see how we make progress. I think the well, well you're not going to make progress if you're talking down to people. You have to lift them up. You know, and that's why he got those votes then because he was out. You know, I didn't see him around here. But when you're out talking to people directly and speaking what they want, what the, uh, their needs, you're going to be a stronger candidate. And I'm and I'm just saying, you know, it was a couple that I saw a lot in our neighborhood, but all of those people running, they weren't out. And and I look at some of the comments some of our older leaders make on Facebook. You know, and and Facebook and Instagram, and that's where our younger people are. Why are you doing that? Like it takes it takes honey to get the bees to come to you and listen to you. You know, well, you're not I, gonna do that when you're putting them down. Go ahead, Brenda. Well, I followed Sharit Tanadar when he ran for governor of the state of Michigan. And I also read Sheree Tanadar's book where I have an issue with Sheree Tanadar is, yes, I'm sympathetic to your story of being brought up poor, uh, just as thousands of other people in this country were brought up poor. But to tell me that First, you want to be our governor, and then you want the seat uh, to go and be state representative. And you talked about education and what all you were going to do about education. And I'm still looking for the bills that he sponsored uh, that would advance Black people. Well, then he did sponsor thing, reparations bills. Are you aware of that? Yeah, I, I saw that, but uh, I didn't see that either. I, don't see the I didn't see that. I don't see the teeth in it. So well, another thing with Cherie uh, is that if if I were in his shoes and the Lord blessed me to have millions of dollars and brought me from eating uh, bread and crackers, I would not take my money to advance myself to go higher in this country and not give money to the poor. So I, if someone can tell me where he has donated. We're, we're going to ask, we're going to ask Shree that. We want to ask right, Shree the right. question. I need to, he, cause I, I've been trying to read that. So that's we, what we, I have. A, that's where I right. have a problem with Shree Tanadar is right. you are being selfish. If you, if what you say is true and how you were brought up in this world. And you, what have you given back to peace some more? Well, I, I think that's, that that's a issue. good. I think that's a good question, and we want to have him on authentically, Detroit, so we can get those questions answered. Like I said, Shree is not my candidate, 
I am not in any way defending Shri. What I am doing is trying to make the case that we cannot just totally write off those people who voted for him as being ignorant and being destructive to the race of Black people without hearing from them and Shri. Because I feel like there are those of us who are standing outside of that framework and not understanding what's going on there. I was one of them. At first, I was in shock that he was even a serious candidate, to be honest with you. When I heard that people were concerned about the Black vote being divided, I was on Authentically Detroit. And I said, I don't see that happening. And yet it happened. And so now I'm trying to understand what happened and why. But doing so in a way that does not make people who voted for Shree feel as though I disrespect them. And I see a lot of that right now. And it concerns me when I start hear people saying that and talking about unity. The other thing is, as much as I understand the need and desire to be represented by our own, I think that focusing on the race of a person we're running against is a little bit dangerous. Now, I'm going to be honest. I think it's dangerous. I think we did it with Rashida. I think we're doing it with Shri. And I think that as a minority group of people, we have to understand that Shri is also a racial minority and an ethnic minority in the United States. And his people are not overrepresented in Congress. And so while the question is, why is he best equipped to represent us? He is also not a member of the majority group. And so I, I, I think we should at least consider the possibility that focusing on his race is not the issue. The questions you raised, Brenda, about what has this millionaire done and what has he, and his track record, those are questions I think we should be moving forward, but not the fact that he is East Indian because, you know. I don't have a problem with his race. I just have, the problem I have is the one that I just stated. And I, I do. I really don't need to have him in a form. I, if I see him and can get to him, I need. I want to ask him that face uh, we, to face. Uh, we I know really that, do. We know you well, will. That, yes, but that's, really what, that's what I think that authentically Detroit wants to do is we want to bring him to this forum. We tried to get him prior to the event. We tried to get him in the voter form that we did on July 16th and did right. not succeed. And we're trying to get him now because we think it's important that anybody as a candidate be willing to speak to the people. And going door to door is one thing. And I think Edith said, you have to do both. You have to come to the organizations and door to door. You have to be willing to speak to community leaders and people who live in a community in order to be legitimate. So there's an open invitation. We shared it and people have said they wanna to talk to us because it's important if he wins that we understand who is in office what specifically he says he's going to do and how to hold him accountable like we would anybody who's going to represent this district. So I want to I want to point out that technically he has not won the election. He has won the no, Democratic nomination. Absolutely. The he's election. the probable. He's the probable winner because this elect this this um, district yes. is overwhelmingly uh, Democrat. But there is another name on the November ballot, and his name is Martel Bivings. Some of you may be familiar with Martel Bivings. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, and do you think people are now in the name of black representation? Do you think people are now thinking about giving Bivings a chance, even though he's a Republican? Yes, people Those are people... thinking about giving him a chance. Yes. Matter, so... matter of fact, trying to encourage people to vote for him. So, um, I, you because know, I mean, we he just had, is black. We just had a, um, a bill pass in Congress that addresses climate justice. Um, I mean, climate health, not climate justice, but climate health, climate. prescription mm -hmm. drugs, 
and um, prescription drugs and tax reform, right? Mm. And every single Republican senator voted against it. Yes, they did. Kamala yes. Harris had to sign on that extra line. Every single, and including the black senators who stand yeah. and represent so-called us. So I think we have to be very careful about what representation means because one of the questions I have is how will you vote? Will you vote for Katanji Brown to be the Supreme Court justice or will you sit with others and not, uh, and not even allow him to bring a nominee forward? I think we get caught up in personalities and not how people will vote and not how they have voted. So I will vote for the congressperson or the representative most likely to vote on issues in a way that makes sense for me. And that's not going to be anybody in the Republican party. And another thing, like before the next election, we have to teach our people to hold our elected officials accountable. Cause it doesn't matter who we vote for when we're not holding them accountable and still think they're our friend after the election. You're not my friend now. Some of these conversations no. seem and, very- And we don't do that. Know. And then we got, People. But we say, but we say that we should all of the time. That's why I'm saying, like a lot of these conversations feel circular. Who, who, who is doing the work? Who's doing the work? It's and who, and who is saying? Who is saying that we're doing the work? And how, how do, how do we monitor that? How do we have some, you know, in process evaluation? We talk about voter education. We talk about voter turnout. We talk about trying to identify reasons why. Folks don't come out to vote and we we have it every election and then the conversation just sort of fizzles out until the next election. Who have we anointed to do this work and who do we where do we need to pitch in and say, hey, I want to be a part of it so that we can make sure that we have an electorate that turns out so that we can make sure that we have an electorate that is educated so that we can make sure that we have an electorate that knows how to keep um our politicians that we elect accountable because we have you know what i'm gonna say detroit action well i mean i think detroit action does a really good job and i think yeah. we need to i think brenda joined detroit action i think and those of us others. who are concerned about things need to really consider joining organizations like mm -hmm. detroit action and working hand on hand with them because or detroit action is a member-led organization it's not led in the same way that many others are and they need our voices. So I think that's a, actually a great way to go about it. But I'm also gonna say this, when you vote based on personality, it makes it very difficult to hold people accountable. What is our checklist of expectations for candidates when they get in office? I think we need to start with clarifying what our goals are for candidates in office and making decisions based on that and not based on your biography, because people, there's people who have great biographies and don't deliver on them. And some people get bought off and you don't even know they've been sold in terms of their right. politics. And I think that it's important for us to be issue focused and not focused on personalities. How did you vote? What do you stand for? What are you saying you're going to do? And then did you do it? So one of the things I hope we can do over the course of this next election or these next few years is begin documenting those things that we've heard on Authentically Detroit, because we've heard a number of things from candidates about what they're going to do. You can go to a campaign website and look at their promises and then track their votes. I think that's how we do it. I think Detroit Action, again, is a really, really great place as long as um, we're willing to support Detroit Action and that work. 
want to encourage people to um, do community work and have their name known, even if they're thinking about running for office. So their works are known in the neighborhoods, in the community before they even get involved with it. Because I have a question for you guys. Okay. Is anybody living? Go on, Brenda. Now I'll ask the question afterwards. No, I, I think with candidates, um, we have had too many candidates that they jump into these races for a salary, not for not for changes in this city, in this state, in this country. It's more for salary and a title to say, oh, I'm the congressperson in this district, or I'm the state representative, or I am the senator. No policies. Uh, we keep looking at all these uh, ordinances and bills in the House and in the Senate that are outdated. Uh, we look at bills that uh, and ordinances that have um, no teeth in them. Our candidates don't go when they get the office and have in their minds that they want to uh, put more teeth in some, some of the uh, ordinances and bills that are already on the books. They just go in there to get along. And that's what the young people are tired of. And when you ask them to vote, then the first question is vote for what? Exactly. Exactly. No, so when you say accountability, what accountability? I just found out that I have been Googling for years since Google been out and I knew how to use this smartphone. What is the job description of the elected officials, local government, state government, and in our in our quite at our in our federal government? Mm -hmm. Everything was so vague. I just got, I just Googled city council a few weeks ago and got the best definition of the job description of a city council member ever. So you can't hold somebody accountable for something that you don't know what their job description is. And you cannot hold a person accountable when they don't know what their job description is. The, so we're just spinning our that, wheels. I think that's an amazing point. I think that's an amazing point. And I think it's a question that we should put out to the uh, larger electorate um, <laughs> and ask the question to see how people respond. Because I think and, that, and, is, and, and, yeah. And when we interview the candidates, ask the question, what is the job description? It's a great, what, what is your job? What do you think the job of this is? Um, yeah, I think that um, one of the things that we have to do in addition to just voter education though, is um, just spend some time once again, figuring out what it is that we think people can and should deliver on. We're really upset because for the first time in 70 years, we're not going to have perhaps, and it's not done, black representation in Congress in the city of Detroit. Number one, we've had two Congress people from the city of Detroit, um, Brenda Lawrence and Rashida Tlaib. I know what Rashida's done. 
what has black represent what black representation is Brenda Lawrence delivered to our district? And I don't mean this as a slam on her. What is she? I know she's had some good votes. What has she done to really address the needs of people in the 14th congressional district when it existed or as it currently is structured? In my opinion, uh, nothing. Uh, the, when uh, Brenda Lawrence's when Brenda Lawrence's office was in the Samaritan Center, I could go to Brenda Lawrence's office and speak with her staff members and, and get uh, various information. Once she left the Samaritan Center, every time I heard anything about Brenda Lawrence, what she was doing on the grounds in Detroit, it was either 24 hours before the event and nine times out of 10, she was appearing either in Southfield or Gross Point. That's right. And so that's and I the thought, and I and I I you didn't ask this question, but my question when she made that announcement that she was not going to seek election again, I was floored. How do you Know what the stakes are in this country. You're up there in Congress. You see this mentally ill president that we have, and you choose this time to step down, knowing how important it is that we need representation here in the city of Detroit. I I'm am just, just disappointed you know in you her know for doing that. Brenda, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not going to share that disappointment because here's the thing. If you didn't do anything these past couple terms, please make way for somebody who will. If you are not, you don't have the energy and the commitment to making things happen in the city of Detroit. Because she was less present in Detroit than just about anybody. And she covered so much of the city of Detroit. She was the mayor of Southfield. And I think she remains Southfield focused, but Detroit needs somebody who is Detroit focused on our citizens in our community who knows our citizens. And so again, I think what it might make sense for us to do on Authentically Detroit is create a scorecard of what people said they were going to do. And I think we talked about this before Orlando, every year, bring them back and ask them what they did or have a forum where we evaluate what they did, whether they have the um, willingness to come forward or not, because I think it only works if we're willing to use the same level of scrutiny while somebody's in office as as they are as we are when they're running for office. My oh, questions yeah. are very, very specific. What are your policy ideals? I don't really care who you are, right? I mean, I do care, but my focus is less on what somebody is and who somebody is and who they say they are and what family they belong to and who they work to. I'm much more concerned with what are you gonna do about the issues that we prioritize? housing, right? Environmental justice, police reform. You heard about the arrest of the officers related to Breonna Taylor. We know we need not just police reform, but restructuring of our police. And if you're going to DC and you don't think that's your mandate, then you probably shouldn't go there on our behalf. And we have time as a district to come together with some shared demands and continue making those demands on whoever gets to represent us. All right. Donna, speaking of police reform, Mm -hmm. At the uh, last uh, police commissions meeting, commissioners mm -hmm. meeting, um, Peter Rhodes, no, not Peter, not Peter, Lieutenant Mark Young, who is the president of the Detroit Police Lieutenant and Sergeants 
Association stated in his public comments during the meeting that the city was paying, are paying protesters that were equivalent, it was equivalent to aiding terrorists on that lawsuit with uh, Detroit will breathe. Yeah, Not one commissioner said one word. The a person, lot of them are aligned with uh, the thinking of former police chief um, James Craig, and it speaks to the need for um, a reimagining of how we uh, police in this country um, and in this city. And so actually today, BridgeDetroit.com, Bryce Huffman reported, um, on the Board of Police Commissioners and saying that uh, Detroiters don't have to wait to be heard at Board of Police Commissioners, but there's an opportunity uh, to really um, uh, put forth public comment at the top of these meetings that went into effect this past Thursday and that will go uh, that will be every Thursday. So there's going to be a trial period where folks can, when, where the citizens, the citizens of the city of Detroit are leading the meeting with their concerns and their comments. One of the, one of the most significant um, budget allocations in the city of Detroit is number one for the police department, but also to pay out lawsuits of misconduct by yes. the police, right? And that number has grown. Um, a couple of percentage points uh, over the years. And so uh, it's definitely something uh, that we want to put, you know, on the litmus test when we are asking and talking to candidates who want to seek elective office in the city because it is a problem. And we, you know what, it's my as far as I know, Detroit um, will breathe has not accepted that those settlement terms. No, they have not. But the they question is if, if you if you wanted me to settle, you would not be saying Chuck Ramey went and sat at the council table and said, oh, we're only settling, not because there was any wrongdoing, because you know, we our attorneys told us this is the best thing. If the attorneys suggested that it was good to continue to impugn the character of people you're trying to get not to sue you thinking you can buy them off. $1.3 million sounds like a lot of money, but they're really offering like $10,000 to some, $20,000 for others. I hope they hold out. I hope they hold out and demand something more, demand at least an apology and a recognition of wrongdoing. Um, and I doubt that they're going to get that from this city. So I think they should go to court. And if I they go to they court, they will win. And this is a conversation that we have to continue um, on another show. We unfortunately have um, a hard stop today. Listen, if you have topics that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at AuthenticallyDetroit at gmail.com. It is never a dull moment where we have uh, Queen Edith and Slim on uh, the podcast. And you guys be sure to look out. Excuse me, Queen. Orlando. Uh, you guys my be sure name to look is out. Queen Slim. Queen Slim, you Thank are you. sure to uh, look out for the new podcast, Queen and Queen Slim, coming to your favorite podcast platform. It is time for shout outs before we get out of here. Uh, Brenda, do you have anyone you want to shout out? Uh, yes, I would really like to sh shout out Peter Rhodes of uh, Council Member Angela Whitfield's office uh, that attended that police commissioner's meeting. Uh, because he went into full detail uh, explaining how this 
lieutenant was incorrect in the statement that he made calling our young civilians, oh my God, calling our kids terrorists for protest for protesting and protecting themselves from pr police brutality. And then the chairperson of the police commissioner tried to rat out a citizen who made a complaint about the chief investigator of the police commissioner. Come on now, where are we going here? So shout out to him. Uh, Eda, if you have any shout outs. Yeah, I'm gonna shout out Jesus Christ today. I love Jesus because he loved everybody. He didn't care what Come you on, was girl. doing. He was Come in on, the streets. Sister. He gave you some <laughs> advice and he kept it moving. <laughs> He's my role model. All right. <laughs> shout out to Jesus. I ain't never, I ain't never mad at that. Donna Givers Davidson, your shout out. Why you drop Jesus? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope you don't think it's sacrilege. Shout out to my husband, Kevin. Happy Aww. birthday, baby. Thank you, baby. Oh, yeah. Happy, happy birthday, birthday to Kevin Davis. It's his birthday. He up there with happy Jesus. Happy birthday. Today. You know, your birthday and everything. <laughs> we oh, absolutely we love Kevin. Everybody loves Kevin. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, keep, your, Kevin yeah. keep us from really going off. He just having like a real peaceful it's spirit. It's his spirit. spirit. And you know, well, I guess I won't get stupid today. Kevin. I know I won't go on. <laughs> all right, that's going to do it for this well, episode of my Thank you so much for listening. And we want you, as always, to catch the wave. We'll see you next time. Bye.